More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, we speak to advisor, author, and family business member, Iraj Ispahani. Iraj is the CEO of Ispahani Advisory and the author of a new book entitled Family Business and Responsible Wealth Ownership, Preparing the Next Generation. Iraj's book helps answer some of our burning questions around next gens, how to engage, empower, and prepare them for leadership positions, topics that Iraj has firsthand experience of. As a group director and sitting board member of his family's business, the Ispahani Group, a family business with over 200 years of history, Iraj draws on his own journey as a next-gen, finding his way back to the family business to inform the success of others. Enjoy this episode with Iraj. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Family Business Voice. I'm very honored and pleased to be joined here today by Iraj Ispahani, who is the author of Family Business and Responsible Wealth Ownership, Preparing the Next Generation, amongst many other hats that he wears. Welcome to the show, Iraj. Thank you so much for your invitation. I'm delighted to be here today. So, you yourself have been through the next-gen experience. And so what I love to ask people when they come on the show here is when in your life did it become obvious to you or did it become apparent to you that you were part of this family legacy, that you were part of a multi-generational family enterprise? And what was that like? I don't think there was an individual moment that I can single out but I think it was a much more gradual realization because I think in, in all families, you grew up really knowing your own family and much less on a relative basis. And you're, you're right, you know, we were all sort of next generation once. And, and I think partly for me in uh, thinking about the book was very much about what are the things, well, did I know enough? Was I well equipped enough for what the expectations were of me? And what was I given? with generosity and spirit by the family, but what did I need to get from elsewhere? Often, in fact, not realizing that I was trying to fill some gaps in, but just actually by going on my own journey. So certainly for me, there wasn't one moment, but I do remember simple things about going to see my grandfather at the office and school holidays, you know, going to the office, with my father walking factory floors, visiting different parts of our businesses, uh, visiting other family members' homes uh, who weren't necessarily close relatives but were part of the family. So it was a, uh, I would say it was an introduction to what it meant to be a member of this family. Did you ever become aware at any point in time that there was an expectation linked to this towards you or did your family not put that kind of a pressure on you? Yes, I mean, there was an uh, unwritten expectation and the doors were open. I think we were all encouraged, actually, to be the best we could be. And I think from an early age, and I think this, if any of your listeners to, on this podcast come from 
have grown up in emerging markets, uh, as I did, if you have a positive start in life, mm-hmm. the duty that comes with it, whether it's something your family is expecting you to do or not, is, is almost secondary. You cannot avoid n- noticing the needs the society has. Do you think it's easier to, for next-gens to find the purpose when they come from this kind of a context simply because the needs are much more urgent? Or do you feel the struggle for, for family members is the same as from, you know, in other more institutionalized economies? I think that if you grow up in emerging markets as opposed to the industrialized world, there are daily things that you'd see need addressing. So your your agenda will probably be more shaped by your immediate environment. Whereas if you're sitting in a different part of the world, in the industrialized world, where some of these issues, while they still ex- exist, are more remote. What made you write the book now and how was that experience for you? The pandemic brought a system shock for which no one was prepared. And I think it also was a time for of reflection for many families around the world because of lockdown suddenly spending more time together and uh, and actually thinking about the interdependence of health and wealth everyone that i know was more more aware of their mortality than ever before so actually people started to realize if the music stops what happens and nobody's plans however well organized and structured they are and however well advised they are, are quite where they should be. And I think this actually made people realize, well, actually, we need to review what we're going to do as we come out of this pandemic. And it may be that we've been doing the right things and our family's well organized, so it's, we'll tick that box. Or actually, what can we be doing to make sure that as a family, we are fit for purpose for other system changes and challenges the 21st century throws at us. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, for me, was the trigger because the conversation now, which is driven a lot by Next Gen, is also about you know the pandemic basically confirmed that the world that we came from was a world which was actually a very unequal world. And so the conversation today is about a new social contract. And younger people are very much a voice and an important voice in that. So if families do take and can take and can afford to take a longer term time horizon. So if you're planning for the next 50 years or the next 100 years and you want your family to be a family which makes a difference in that period, in the first instance, the family has to survive. So without You can't do good things externally for the community, for the world, or run a a great business if the family internally hasn't actually worked out how to be more resilient and how to have the quality of leadership you need to cope with the system shocks of the future. So this takes what I would describe as an adaptive mindset. Because as I thought about, you know, why write this now? It's because actually a lot of people are thinking through this and taking the linear approach, which was taken from many by many generations successfully <laughs> to this point, uh, is not necessarily going to stand them in good stead going forward. 
there is, of course, a fear of the perceived or existing gap between the understanding of what's important and what isn't. And I think you've painted a wonderful picture of how, of course, the priorities of this next generation are different in response to a world that is different. And how do we facilitate that kind of conversation that you're talking about? How can that be a constructive and not a traumatic event for the family business? The families that are well prepared may be families that have had their protocols established for a long time. But of course, what I'm saying today is that all those protocols need actually to be reviewed because it's a slightly lazy assumption to say, this is how we've always done it, therefore we will continue to do it. That's what actually makes the next gen run a mile because we can always improve and adapt the way that we do things. So there's nothing that doesn't need a tweak or doesn't need to be brought up to date. So I mean, that, that's, that's one thing. The second thing is, yes, of course, the, uh, the pace of change in the world today is different to what it used to be. A lot of this is technology-driven change. And with that, of course, comes disruption. Disruption to business models, disruption to the way we live, disruption to the way we communicate. So I think that, uh, and it makes it more difficult to keep good things good. It makes it more difficult to keep a reputation because there are many more stakeholders now in the family ecosystem than perhaps there were when the world moved at a slower pace. So I think that is, uh, and the next gen are quite aware of that, and, pre and previous and older generations are, are aware of it, but less able perhaps to adapt because inevitably people are more set in their ways. So, so often I think about things through a, a sort of risk management framework. Actually, let's just look at where we are and let's understand the opportunities, the threats, the challenges, and decide how we want to continue to play and do what we do. And uh, so that part of the uh, dynamic, I think that the second thing is, you know, how do you, to your question, how do you get, you know, everyone in a room? Well, I mean, the Zoom world has shown you can get lots of people into a room. And actually, if you look at, you know, running family retreats or family meetings, Zoom can be very democratic because everyone has the same size box and your grandfather or grandmother isn't sitting at the, you know, next to your elbow or at the head of the table and uh, allows people to have a share of voice. So bringing people together, I use that as an example, must allow for share of voice and listening. If you bring people together and they don't feel listened to, they won't come back to the table or, or, or they start to become detached. And what I'm trying to do, and with the book, is it's really, it's encouraging every next-gen member, wherever they are, to be more engaged, because all of us today can do more. Because this group of individuals who, in a way, if I've written this for, and my, my co-authors have contributed brilliantly to, is to say that if you are fortunate enough to have had a positive start in life, you have got the levers to help all the rising next generations in the world who are actually all part of your own cohort, but they don't have that access. 
And so how are you going to use your time to live life with responsibility and on a regenerative basis? So that's the thought around the circularity. And one of the things which, again, is without being prescriptive, because I'm very clear, everyone does it in their own way. And when I say everyone can do more, if you think that volunteering in your local community school is what you want to do, great. If you want to build a global partnership and with an ambition to do things on a scale, fantastic. But, but, but don't shrink from it. You know, find your voice, find something that has resonance with you. It's a win-win in a sense. I want to follow up in a way that ties into what you mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation, which is the, the consciousness transition of a next-gen member from the we to the I becoming more important, of course, and that I then fitting into the we again. And I think this is a, such an interesting way in which you put it much more eloquently than I just did. But <laughs> I think what's interesting, though, about I think the next generation that we're facing now is that I think that I has more ways of expressing itself. I'm a great believer in the open architecture world by creating some element of choice and also thinking about the development needs of next-gen members and the education and training, which would encourage them to engage with the family business, but also come to it with relevant skills. Many next-gen often don't feel they've earned it. They don't feel worthwhile. If someone goes away to study digital marketing and comes back because the retail business, comes back to the retail business, which actually needs to expand its digital footprint, that's brilliant. You know, they are coming with something the business needs. And then the fact that they happen to be the chair's daughter goes away or recedes. You have that next gen that goes out and become specialized in digital marketing and like, you know, might not be staying outside for 25 years like you did. But then so many families, that next gen comes back and then they don't let them try, right? Like they don't allow them to experiment, to push the boundaries, and they don't allow them to make mistakes either because there's this protectiveness, of course, around the, the, the family business. So how do we create that space so that that value can even, you know, become visible to the older generation. In the book, what we're trying to do is, as, as you've alluded, to create a shared conversation. So the parents, grandparents need to be willing participants in this, but also realize that they have to embrace this more open world uh, as well. Every generation in a, in a family has to take responsibility for wealth creation, because with fragmentation of shareholding, there are more mouths to feed, and we live in a competitive world. So actually, where is that entrepreneurial drive and energy and expertise going to come from? In business, it is about taking risk. But if you've never given someone the opportunity to, or you don't give them the opportunity to, then how do they learn? And so one of the things, and there's a chapter in the book on the family bank, which is really how you create entrepreneurs in the next gen. And of course, it's important as here's, so here's some advice for the older generations, is that with the family bank concept, if you support your son or daughter in an enterprise they may have, could be during their university years, it could be for the, you know, it could be for the few years they're working elsewhere or doing something else before coming back to family fold or in parallel sometimes. 
because actually not everyone is necessarily executive in a business. There are many families that are, you know, just owner boards, as we know, and not operators. So you can, but the entrepreneurial skill set and experience is very important. So actually with the family bank, some businesses that a family may support a next-gen member with will not work out. So that doesn't mean that they are not worth supporting or that they haven't learned something. So the thing is, what have they learned, not what have they built? And when you talk to next-gen members, and I'm very sensitive to that, they are reluctant sometimes to even take the family support because they feel if it goes wrong, they'll never be forgiven. It's a double-edged sword, yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's what needs to change, which is the spirit in which things are done needs to be communicated more clearly and the reason for it, which is really to create the most able family members who've learned from experience. And I think that, I think, is very helpful because we've all made mistakes. And actually, as long as you learn from mistakes and probably avoid making the same mistake twice, that's absolutely fine. That's life. And I think you're right. I think it's it's easy, it's very easy when time has passed to forget what it was like to be that uncertain 20-year-old or 25-year-old or 30-year-old. And so this is where that consistent support of making sure that actually the people feel welcome in the family fold is very important. And I think that's the key. And welcome means, and I agree, people can come in and people may leave, and they may come in and leave a few times, but you need to have a conversation which allows you to have enough of the critical family resource to support the business, but also make sure that others' capabilities and interests are deployed for the overall benefit of the family purpose. Well, I mean, Rash, this and and much more advice, of course, in your book, Family Business and Responsible Wealth Ownership, Preparing the Next Generation. We'll be linking back to it below this podcast and below this video. Thank you so much for coming on the Family Business Voice and sharing these insights with us. It's been a great pleasure, Ramya. Very good to have met you and thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.